Welcome to the Equity and Inclusion Podcast. My name is David Wu. I'm the Director of Equity and Inclusion at Lexington Catholic High School. Today, I'm visiting with Deacon James Weathers at St. Peter Claver Catholic Church downtown here in Lexington. Deacon Weathers was a Lexington Catholic graduate of 1964. He lived through segregation and integration and will be sharing some of his memories as well as some of his words of wisdom for the future. So good to be visiting with you today, Deacon Weathers. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing some of this history. I've really enjoyed <laughs> learning about St. Peter Claver's role in education as well as uh, faith and okay. never realized that there was a school right where we're sitting back in the day. Right. This particular school, St. Peter Claver, was the neighborhood school for most of the parishioners. Well, they eventually became parishioners. It was a, a good evangelization tool for Father Bamberger, who was the pastor at the time. He would walk the neighborhoods, and he got to know all the people who live, I guess, three or four blocks up either direction, got to know him personally, and... Kids used to play on the playgrounds here and eventually wound up in the school as students. And I think some of the ones that were non-Catholic, I think they paid 50 cents a month for their children to go to school, and which eventually some of them ended up becoming Catholic so they wouldn't have to pay the 50 cents is what I heard. But a lot of times the child became Catholic, but the parent would not. Sometimes the whole family came in. And that was news that I didn't know about until I started listening to some of my uh, non-Catholic friends who later talked about when they were younger and how the parents were able to manage sending their kids to Catholic school. This particular school was a good school for um, the African-American community because it provided a quality education for the kids who went on to public school later. They found out they were ahead of some of the uh, 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 grades that they were going into when they went to public school. I guess the only thing, uh, uh, I never had an opportunity to realize was the some of the opportunities they got uh, from going to public school. There was an advantage and a disadvantage for us going on to Catholic school. Of course, we were provided a good education at Lexington Catholic, but socially, we left all of our friends when they did not follow us on to Lexington Catholic. There was probably eight or ten total African Americans at Lexington Catholic when I was there. And socially, um, if there was a girl or in your class above or below, they just assumed that that particular person was your girlfriend or going to go to the prom and those kinds of things. You didn't know how... That affected you socially, but mm. had friends away from Lexington Catholic that uh, socially would come and go to the dances and the proms and those kinds of things. So we found ways of making it work itself out. So when was the school established here <clears throat> and about how many uh, students did <clears throat> St. Peter Claver end up serving? It's in 1874. Five is when the school was originated here at the corner of Fourth and Jefferson, and it was the Sisters of Charity through 
from 1875 through 1907, I think it was. And from 1907 through the 40s, well, through the 60s even, the Sisters of Divine Providence uh, took the school over then. And when I went to school here, it was the Sisters of Divine Providence. Um, so how many sisters did they have when you were a boy here? About six. There were six. and there So was, everyone knew everyone. Everyone knew everyone. And uh, the classes were first and second. And then they had the third, fourth, and fifth grade upstairs. And the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade downstairs. And they said that method was a teaching method that proved to be uh, a good device because the older students helped the younger students. Mm. Teachers had big classes, so the older students were helping with the younger students. I know when um, I was doing some work in Louisville with one of the, uh, taking some classes, and they had a school in Louisville through the uh, 2000s. It was up off a popular level was same type setup, and they said they kept that setup mainly because they knew it was a good learning model for uh, for students. Um, I know when we were in the uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, every Friday we had spelling tests, and it didn't matter if you were sixth grade or eighth grade. It was last man standing or last lady standing in the spelling test, and that was a good learning tool as well because every Friday you knew you was going to have some type of spelling test. But it also taught you uh, good comprehension for um, word association, uh, I guess English, and just forming you as a person. Uh, Social studies was another uh, something we did orally in the classroom, and it taught you how to uh, look outside of Lexington into the bigger part of the world. Uh, I think the nuns did a real good job uh, trying to teach the students who were here. This area that we were setting in used to be the, um, twice a week the candy man came through those doors, Mm. and he sold candy, and he, the older students sold candy to the younger students. They didn't have vending machines. So. You know, it's interesting. I think as a minority um, raised maybe a generation after you, mm-hmm. um, this idea of going to a school where everyone looks like me mm-hmm. and uh, that there's a sense of family mm-hmm. and belonging, um, I, I'm guessing that was a wonderful thing. And a great part of the school. Right. And I think the school here, everybody did uh, look like you, except for the nuns. Mm-hmm. We never had a African-American nun nor a priest until Father Norman came along. And matter of fact, we never knew there was such a thing as African-American uh, priests and nuns. Other than Father Norman, until we went off to the clergy conferences, did mm-hmm. we come in contact with some three to four hundred nuns and priests and deacons and and you wonder where have all these people been all your life uh, but they were in different parts of the country and a lot of them came from the same background uh, not knowing that there were other ones around the country uh, until you came together as a conference as a group of people 
But everybody had the same story. They all started from some type of humble beginnings. A lot of the priests who were trying to get into seminary was not allowed to uh, go to seminary because of their color. Couldn't get into some of the orders. Hmm. So they were told to go into a lesser field. Not You don't want to be a priest. Maybe you need to be a brother. And they would steer them toward uh, one of the orders as an order priest more so than a diocesan priest. But um, the one story that I remember so vividly was um, the priest who had tried to become a priest. It took him 12 years to become a priest, and he ended up joining the Josephite order. And he eventually became the provincial of the Josephite order, the first African-American to do so. Uh, That was probably four years ago. And... So he told his story about every time he tried to become a priest, they'd say, well, you need to be a brother. He said, I don't want to be a brother. I want to be a priest. And I guess for here, we had several students who wanted to become priests, but for some reason it never happened. Hmm. And, of course, then as a, as a younger person, you never know why, but you just assume that there was probably not a place uh that was before true desegregation all the way through. Probably some of the uh, places wouldn't have taken them as well, here even here in the diocese. So this was early 60s. So what was it like coming as one of the first African-American students at Lexington Catholic? You had an older brother? Had two older brothers and a younger sister. So we had somebody in, in every grade at one time. Uh-huh. Um, but we... I guess we stuck together as family, and there was probably two other. Uh, there was two other kids from the same family there, from another family. Mm-hmm. So it was like five boys, and my recollection is like five boys and maybe three girls, at the time. Uh, Doctor Swope, who was a student there at Lexington Catholic, who works over at UK as a psychiatrist now. She was in the same class with my sister, Carol. So I know she was one of the younger students. And behind me, there was a, quite a few more that bubbled up as they were coming along. It got The numbers got to be more. But when I was going, like, say, the five or so, but, I mean, we got along with everybody. And my dad told us we were going there for an education, and basically that's what we were doing was getting a, an education. It was a good quality education, so um, we started out playing sport. Never made it past the uh, freshman class because at that time the tuition was $150, and he said if you're going to stay at Lexington Catholic, you're going to have to help pay the tuition. Mm -hmm. So that meant getting a little job after school, and we all worked down at St. Joe's Hospital after school, (coughs) which was... <clears throat> which was it within walking distance. If you if you were able, you caught a ride from over Lexington Catholic down to um, St. Joe's, which my older brother at the time, I think he was, uh, when he was a junior, we all got this little car together that eventually became his because uh, my dad said that wasn't a good idea. 
he's getting most use out of it, so you pay them back, and the car belongs to you. So right. we would ride over with him, or we'd catch a ride with somebody else from Lexington Catholic that was going down to uh, to work at the hospital there. And what, what were your siblings' names? <laughs> George, Tom, and Carolyn. All right. My younger sister, Delina, she's 11 years younger than me, so by the time she got around... I think she went to Lexington. Yes, she went to Lexington Catholic. By the time she went to Lexington Catholic, I was already military. I'd gone to the military mm. after high school. What branch did you go into? Into the army. I was in the army and spent time in Germany. I was in the Third Army uh, Infantry Division there in in uh, Germany. So we were in a little town called Schaffensburg which reminded me of where my grandparents lived down in Springfield. They were mm-hmm. still plowing the fields with oxen. Wow. I said, at least my granddad had a uh, mule and a tractor, so he was uh, two steps above them. Right. I didn't think I'd ever see anything more primitive than Springfield. But, mm. you know, you think about going to Europe, you think about seeing all the bright lights and some of the other things, but you had to go to Frankfurt, Germany, to uh, see that. Right. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed uh, reminiscing and looking through some of the old yearbooks. I think we've mm-hmm. found uh, uh, Rebecca uh, Irvin. 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 And uh, she was. She's the sister of uh, one of our one of our older parish members, Nita Cersei. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rebecca had. Well, Rebecca and Nita, I think they had like five siblings, but I think Rebecca was the only one that went to uh, uh, Lexington Catholic. Uh, one of Nita's, well, th- all three of Nita's children went to Lexington Catholic, mm-hmm. one being Steve. And Steve had his son to uh, go to Lexington Catholic. And I think Nita also had a brother who had a son named Michael that went to Lexington Catholic. Right. I think you'd mentioned a, a student that was the student of two professors at UK that tragically passed away. Right. His name was Reginald O'Rook. And Reginald was a uh, National Honor Scholar um, who was on track to, I think he wanted to be some type of physician. Hmm. He got killed in his... Um, junior year of high school, I think, on Lee's Town Road. That was back when the old Lee's Town Road used to be a winding road. Mm-hmm. They worked in Frankfurt as uh, uh, they were both professors down at uh, Kentucky State. And one of his trips down to Kentucky State back home, he got killed one weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of tragic, yeah. They was the only child that they had as well. So, wow. yeah, so it was kind of tragic for our church here. I know we've been searching for the first African-American graduate of Lexington Catholic, and we don't have a definitive answer, but uh, we did find Rebecca Irwin Searcy, class of 1959, and also a Boyd Marshall, who was in the graduating class of 1957. So he probably was the first graduate from... uh... Lexington Catholic that I know of, and he was from our parish, so um, 
Was he the first African-American deacon in this? uh... In the diocese. I think he was ordained somewhere around 2000, maybe even 1998 or so. Mm -hmm. Because he, uh, I know some of the deacons that he was ordained with, and they were the first, excuse me, class of deacons. They were the first class of deacons when they reinstated uh, deaconate here in the diocese. Right. They were the first class, and he was part of that first class. So what was his personality like? Did you work with him quite a bit here? He worked here at the church. He was in a similar job that I'm in now. He was uh, before Sister Leah came on. Uh, They hadn't hadn't initiated this particular job as uh, parish life director. He was an administrator. Yeah, Father Ed Mary was a priest at the time. And then we got um, Father Carl Johnson later on was the priest that was here assigned full-time, and he was helping Father Carl Johnson in ministry here. So when Father Carl left, he took on that role sort of full-time until they... um, Assigned Father Father Dan and Father Gino as the two priests for three churches downtown was a new concept. They were going to try to see if that would work with the administrator in each one of the churches and the two priests sort of floating around. But Deacon Boyd's uh, uh, tenure here at uh, St. Peter Claver was a good one. Uh, he was well-liked. Uh, he did uh, uplifting homilies, uh, but he was just, uh, he got he got ill. His wife got ill and passed away before him, but, but he, two years or three years after Joanne passed, he passed away himself. But he had two daughters um, and three grandchildren. No, he had three daughters. One of his daughters was special needs. Mm. And she passed away uh, prior to he and Joanne dying. But um, Denise and uh, Chanel were his two daughters that were still are still living. But I think Chanel lives in some parts of North Carolina with one of her daughters. And Denise, I don't know. I lost track of Denise. They no longer attend church here, so right. I lost track of them. Well, it seems like this theme of belonging and mm-hmm. your deep roots here um, and with going to the school here at St. Peter Claver and then going to Lexington Catholic, I feel like that's a, a strong theme just within Catholic identity, mm-hmm. um, being able to create a community that's like family. And lots of times we come from so many different <coughs> places and backgrounds mm-hmm. and in our society that sometimes... Um, is not as understanding as it should be. Do you have any words of wisdom for the future of this work as we continue to try to bring people into the family of God um, through this mission of the Catholic Church, through Lexington Catholic, through the work here at St. Peter Claver in this diocese? Do you have any words of wisdom for well, any I think of our it's, listeners? I think it's important to have some type of inclusiveness all the way through because you never know when you're going to be on the other side of the coin. You may be the only one that the minority of of a particular situation. For us, it was always 
we knew that was going to be our role because if you wanted a better job, you always was one of a few that was in one of those jobs. Uh, I worked for IBM Lexmark, and my departments was probably one or two African Americans, and of course we had several people throughout the plant in different areas, but departments themselves never was overfilled with a lot of African Americans. Um, I know we took Father Dan on a uh, conference with us one time, and he was the only Caucasian in one of the work sessions that we went to. And at lunchtime, he came to us and said, now I know how it feels to walk in your shoes. He said, I never thought I'd be in a situation where I'd be the only person, I'm only minority in a setting. Hmm. And he said, it's kind of tough. Because, you know, he's put in a situation where he was unfamiliar with, whereas it's something we adjust to. I think we adjust to it a little easier than most people. Uh, But it is nice to be inclusive and have somebody that looks like you when you're doing things, when you're going places. I know my grandkids go through that at their school, but um, in today's environment, they don't get caught up in some of the things that we did. Um, They don't see color like we did. Um, They're treated pretty equal, pretty much equal, um, I believe, more so than we were when we were coming along. Um, But I do think it's it's a role that until you walk in another person's shoes, you never know how they're feeling or what culture they come from. Uh, Culturally, what it takes for them to uh, get their day started. It may be prayer. It may be just living life uh, in a loving manner. Uh, you never know. Uh, but it's just uh, different. And I do think it it is important to be able to see somebody that looks like you during the course of the day. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today okay. and uh, appreciate the history and okay. your perspective and the wisdom and uh, we're continuing to, to struggle with uh, difficult answers okay. uh, with the struggles we see in society and yeah. I think belonging is important being able to yeah. see to the heart of yeah. who a person is is yeah. so important it's the heart it is not it's not about your skin color it's about the person within the skin mm. it is um, amen because uh, even in the Bible they talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, they walked and talked Scripture, but they didn't live. Didn't live the life that Jesus really wanted them to live. I think sometimes we can call ourselves Christian, but we don't live a Christian life. And if you can't treat your brother with dignity and humility, uh, you can't. It's kind of hard to call yourself a Christian. Well, that's a good word to end on. Thank you okay. so much. All righty. Appreciate it. All right.